son. If you're listening, I'm dead. But uh, I left you this podcast. You'll be all right. Just pretend that I went out for smokes. Hello, everybody. I'd like to take you back to 1960s France. <laughs> oh, I like to have sex with teenagers. <laughs> oh, I like to have. Uh, I want to take my 14 year old mistress out for a croissant. <laughs> and that's just but Looney Tunes, by the that's, way. Yeah. That wasn't even us saying. Oh, that. yeah. Now, actually, when Looney Tunes would, would portray French people, they would actually tone it down a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right, yeah. Anyway. The, the mistress would not also be the cousin. <laughs> why do? Why is the French... Because they, they kind of asked for it, right? They were like, is, are they the language of love or is that someone else? That is, yeah. Mm, it's yeah. French, right? Which isn't true. When you hear it, it's not true necessarily true mm-hmm. you don't get a you don't get a hard on when you, <laughs> <laughs> no one hears you yeah. know it's i'm i don't know maybe i'm wrong yeah you know maybe I is there a language the right, that you you hear i'll say this the women kind of sound like the men and i'm uh-huh. not saying that's sexy or not sexy uh-huh. Uh-huh. or is sexy uh-huh. you know in french they have 17 17 different ways of saying uh the work needs me to to stay late at the office tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just <laughs> it's just so normalized when they cheat on their wife. I remember one time me and my cousin we were at uh uh remember before GameStop there was electronics boutique or at the mall. No. And there was this family, I don't know what language they were speaking, but they were probably like Swedish or something. It was the mom and her son and or daughter. Did it sound like they were uh bouncing? <laughs> <laughs> Did it sound like they were made out of slinkies? I think that's how they talk, right? Is it? The Swedish? I just remember them going back and forth, all the three of them, and they were just like... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounds like like there's springs in them, right? It was so annoying. I only know things from the Muppets. It's whatever Jim (laughs) Henson has given us. Right, 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 right. (laughs) But it was just so annoying the way they were talking, because they were just just speaking their... Their shitty language, like really loud. <laughs> I, was, as I was in there with my cousin. <laughs> as, a, as a child, just mad. <laughs> I was, me and my cousin were just mad. We were just, my cousin was like, I want to go over there and be like, what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> Kids are so dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but they were kind of annoying. Like, I don't know. That's, that, that was, was just annoying. my memory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They were like, <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what it was, but Danish or whatever, whatever shit. And they were just like, Mom, they sound like they're dipping their heads in fish tanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's Icelandic. Is like uh, that, that sounds sound like. like it's like a lot of. Oh no shit! Right, Sean. Yeah, that's that's the sound you make when you're eating rotting shark. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, the French, yeah, they, they they act like they made up romance or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. the language of love. That's what right. they say. That's why they right. asked for it. Right. They also act like they made up uh, democracy. They made they invented uh, what we know as democracy. Is that true? Well, it's the French Revolution. The French Revolution, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they go, they made up freedom. They say, right? Yeah. yeah. Kind of exciting. Yeah. When was that that they invented a uh, freedom free to work will? five hours a day? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they invented modern freedom, what we know of as freedom. Uh huh. Uh huh. Am I making this up? No. Okay. I thought I knew half of that. Yeah. I didn't. I forgot we were recording today. 
I didn't get a chance to look at any notes or anything. <laughs> no, that's fine. I got you. <laughs> but I looked but at so some notes. You did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. No, it's okay. All right. So let's, like here, I said, man. thanks. Me, you, you too. Yeah. Like I said, 1960s France. Is it, wait, is that an instrument? Is that a person? It's supposed, to be, is an that accor- a it's supposed to be an accordion. <laughs> I forgot the being, auxil- pu- being pushed in its shit for, <laughs> for shitting on the carpet. I forgot the, I forgot the auxiliary cable. <laughs> oh, you did? You forgot the uh, cable that. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. That's, makes somebody's, noise. that's somebody's bike. Oh, Imagine a, a man bike. riding his bike through a. Yeah. With a bag full of baguettes, and it's the 1960s. Yeah, yeah. No. Everybody's got, everybody's got a full bush. <laughs> everybody's got a big. Everybody's got a big. Is that mound. true, Sean? Can you confirm this? <laughs> everybody's got a big mound of pubes, French style. And uh, Charles de Gaulle is the president of the country. Yeah. And take it away. Yeah. So I wanted to do this episode about Charles de Gaulle, just because I had this tweet. Uh, which I'll quote for you, which is uh, Charles de Gaulle survived multiple CIA-backed assassination attempts and a CIA-backed coup. He then set up death squads and launched a purge of CIA gladio elements within his country and security forces. Mm. He was the real-life version of Trump in the QAnon narrative. Mm. And I tweeted that, and it's like basically true. Mm-hmm. And there were people in the replies that were like, we should do an episode about that. So I thought that'd uh-huh. be an interesting idea yeah. because that mainly comes from the book uh, the Devil's Chessboard by David Talbot, which is a great book. I very much recommend anybody who hasn't should read it. You should read that. But um, I'm reading The Devil's Checkers Board. <laughs> <laughs> the Devil's Candyland. <laughs> <laughs> the Devil's Jumanji. <laughs> a child's guide to the CIA. <laughs> C. <laughs> C is for CIA. It's, it's just Cookie Monster makes an appearance. Yeah. The Devil's <laughs> Connect Four. <laughs> But um, there's a chapter in that that deals with uh, what we're going to talk about today. And mm-hmm. if you don't even want to read the full book, um, the website whowhatwhy.org has uh, an excerpt, or it has this excerpt yeah. about Charles de Gaulle and the CIA coup. And so I'll quote from that a bit today, but I'll also link it in the description if you want to read it. Nice. Um, <clears throat> but so let me ask you about Operation Gladio a little bit, because I was actually, I was driving through Louisiana, I was driving to the airport, and I was sitting in traffic, and I just... I was like, let me watch a YouTube video about that. So should we start with the end of World War II? Yeah, I mean, I will... uh, Charles de Gaulle is such a fascinating guy. You could spend a long time just talking about World War II and all that, so I'll kind of skip over most of that. But I will just say, you know, de Gaulle is born 1890, he dies 1970, and he was the leader of the Free French during World War II. Um, Then he kind of heads an interim government at the end of the war, and then 1946, he resigns, he leaves politics, but he comes back in 1958 um, to resolve uh, the French crisis over Algeria. Algeria was their colony, and they, you know, pulled out of it, and it was kind of a, their Vietnam. Uh, well, they also had they also an actual, had yeah, yeah, but they were, their second Vietnam was in Algeria. Mm-hmm. But so kind of, uh, Charles de Gaulle survived over 30 different assassination attempts from 1944 to 68 or 69. And how many? 30. Wow. So um, a lot of that was over Algeria. And that's kind of uh, what a lot of the the episode, and if we continue it on the Patreon, that one will be about Algeria. So I'll give kind of a basic history of all that. Um, 
And it's interesting, though, because it's like this is a guy who survived 30 different assassination attempts, but he is the French hero of World War II. Mm-hmm. Like in France, they still call him the general. And it's like, you know, it's like George Washington or uh, or whoever. Just the fact that he was so many people tried to kill him, despite him being like such a, a important figure in French history kind of shows you, in my opinion, how powerful it is when somebody tries to end a war Mm -hmm. because like Algeria, Mm -hmm. you know, Charles de Gaulle was a conservative guy. You could say he's an imperialist, you know, he's certainly by modern standards, a racist, you know, he wasn't a peacenik. He wasn't a hippie, Mm -hmm. but he tried to end this war in Algeria and eventually he did. And they tried to kill him like 30 times over this. Mm -hmm. So it just shows you how difficult it is to actually end a war because, you know, people are making money. Yeah. And, you know, soldiers who've lost their friends are pretty mad about it. There's lots of different factors or, you know, corporations want the resources. They don't want the the war to stop. And you just say, hey, you get your own country now. Yeah. Biden got a lot of shit for pulling out of Afghanistan. Right. Yeah. And they were like, oh, he left all the tanks over there. Right. Like you're supposed to go, hey, can we just get our, our tanks back? You should do something with them, right? Well, the Taliban's doing something with them. Well, I know. Isn't that the problem? <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't you do something to the tanks? I don't know. You as a guy, you go, let's act like it was really quick. Like, grab your shit and let's go. Like, there was a fire. Uh-huh. And you go, like, you do something at least, right? You piss in them. You piss in the tanks. So they got to do something. You don't just leave them, right? I guess they're doing something with them, yeah. No, no. The Taliban is. They took them, right? They have our You're shit You're saying now. we should do We should have done no, I'm something I'm saying we should have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like what? I mean, literally anything. Fucking blow them up is better than what we did. Hmm. We sabotaged a fair number of tanks. Yeah. But oh, we did. Okay, that's good. Well, there's that's a lot good. of. There were a lot of tanks over there. I mean, that was the whole thing. Is the media the other ones we just like pranked them. We like saran wrapped them, like, smeared shit on the door handles. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, we did leave a bunch, but <laughs> when they go to start that engine, <laughs> Biden's like, they all the all the door handles got shit on them, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Biden uh, Biden flew in a bunch of Section 8 tennis to just sit in the tanks and fuck them up before they left. Yeah, that's his housing program. You get to go to Afghanistan to and tank. live in a tank. In, it's like a tiny house, tiny yeah. tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just got to f- make sure they can't get their security deposit back. And yeah. The no. Taliban can't use it. Just a bunch of white trash families. And they all like, that could be a sitcom. Getting along with the, t- I don't know. No, yeah, I like that. Taliban and me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but um, <laughs> okay. but anyways, the point was, <laughs> with Afghanistan, they were very mad at Biden because they were spending $300 million a day in Afghanistan, and then, you know, you pull out, that money's gone, and, like, probably the majority, I mean, yes, the majority of that money just ended up back in the U.S. It goes to the defense contractors and all that, so $300 million U.S. dollars a day in Afghanistan, and that goes away, and then they were very mad and then we have the Ukraine war now, so it kind of replaces it. Now everybody, or right. the media and the defense contractors, like Biden again. Three hundred million a day for to do what? To just kind of hang out there? Yeah, just like you know, blow up some pregnant women and give mm-hmm. Viagra to some child rapist heroin traffickers. Right. Wait, they were giving Viagra to people. That was the CIA was giving. <laughs> that was the worst thing they did. Wait, you mean they were able to get boners? <laughs> Was it specifically Viagra or was it uh, perhaps some blue chew? 
Cialis. It was yeah, that'd be, Cialis. That'd be good. Mm. You could be yeah. like the fucking Harry Truman of government overspending and <laughs> going with real Viagra instead of getting the generics, <laughs> wasting taxpayer money. And listen, if, if it's good enough for Louis J. Gomez, man, it's good enough for me. <laughs> the CIA gave these guys Viagra. What is it? What is? What is the thing? They're, it's like they're, yeah. they're uh, lambda, lambda, lambda. <laughs> this is like what kind of? It's like when they prank the chicks or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, those are our, they're our allies. Yeah, they're giving because we allied with right some some warlords. Yeah, we allied with a bunch of warlords, and some of them kept uh, Bakabazi boys, dancing boys of Afghanistan, which are like little boys that they raped. And I they mean, asked for Viagra? Yeah, because some of the warlords were like old, and they couldn't get it up to rape their child slaves anymore. Right. And there was like a CIA program to give them Viagra. Yeah. Yeah, it's sometimes almost comical how evil they are, right? It's just like, yeah. you'd think they would draw the line at no Viagra for the warlords to rape boys. Yeah, at the very least, it's like, we'll give you the boys. You figure out your cocks by yourself, yeah, right, you know? Right, right, right. And exactly. then they're like, hey, like, imagine being, like, first off, imagine being say, a man. Yeah, when you say that's not my problem. Who's like, yeah, 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 exactly. Like, the, the, what is that? The weak, you ever like ask, like, you ever ask like for like 20 bucks from someone? You know, you ever ask to borrow some money, right? Okay, so imagine you're like, hey, can I get a little boy? You already feel like an absolute asshole, right? <laughs> yeah. He goes, hey, here's right. a little boy, okay? Right, right, right. And then like he le- you have to like go like, oh, wait, wait. Yeah, my, yeah. My, also, my penis doesn't work for him. Yeah. And you go, what? Yeah. You made me get you a car. You don't even got your fucking, <laughs> you don't even know how to drive. You even got your license. <laughs> yeah, it's like lending somebody money for gas and then yeah. you find out. Yeah, they can't. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, a guy goes, hey, I'll, I'll come to your place and buy the car off of you. And then right. he goes, hey, I'm going to need some gas money. Right. What? Right. Or something like that. I don't it know. is smart. The CIA was like, <laughs> the CIA was like, no, on the news, we definitely have to lead with the Afghan women can go to school now. That's first. And then we'll put the CIA, we're giving the pedophiles Viagra. No, That'll you know be like it, third. You know what it is? It's like, it's like you, it's like your friend asks you for money and then you find out he bought child pornography with it. <laughs> And then he asked you for more money so you could buy a DVD player to watch it on. <laughs> like he didn't even have a DVD player <laughs> to watch his child pornography. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, but uh, just with De Gaulle, you know, like I said, 30 assassination attempts against this World War II hero, and not all of them the CIA was involved in, but they were definitely involved in, in some. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. By the way, we do get feedback on these types of episodes that we should let you talk. No, it's fine. It's got no, but we got it. You know, just just putting that out there. It's fine. People go shut. Stop talking <laughs> over. Like talking. People go five stop minutes talking about. over Sean, <laughs> and let him. People always say let Sean cook. This piece of shit. Well, anyways, look. Uh, so why would you want to assassinate Charles de Gaulle? Well, he was he struck a really independent course for France, like France. They detonated their first atomic bomb in the Sahara Desert in 1960, and they set up their own nuclear weapons program. It wasn't like under NATO, you know, after World War II, the U.S. kind of came into all these European countries and would just put their military bases in Germany and just, stash, you know, they would put their nuclear missiles in Germany, you know. So it was like the U.S. would control those weapons, but France was like, no, fuck that. We're going to control everything that happens on our soil. And Charles de Gaulle actually kicked NATO out in 1966. He expe- he he left NATO. France later rejoined, 
1966, he left NATO. He expelled um, the alliance's headquarters from from Paris. Uh, he was he actually a, kicked NATO out like it was a 14-year-old girl from his apartment <laughs> and his wife was coming home for, an, for a French analogy. Yeah, he made NATO leave out the, win- the bathroom window. <laughs> the bathroom window. Just holding her, holding its clothes. Yeah. yeah. Sliding down the fire escape. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, he was against the American war in Vietnam. He was like a big critic of that. And then, of course, you know, with the, the Algeria, the peace there... Uh, the U.S. really wanted to get its hands on Algeria's natural resources. It's now, I believe, the the largest natural gas producer in Africa. Hmm. It's one of the um, the largest oil producers. But you know, so there were a variety of reasons, and then also there was this sense that oh, they're going to fall to the the communists and all that. But um, just like for an example, in in 1975 during the the Church Committee. Uh, the investigations of the CIA by the U.S. Senate, the CIA admitted that some former uh, French OAS soldiers, which is the OAS we'll talk about, they were an, a, an, a secret organization of like French soldiers who tried to kill de Gaulle. They were responsible for most of the assassination attempts against him. But they approached, or some of their members, approached the CIA, the CIA admits this, in 1966, 65, and they had this plot that they were asking the CIA to help them with, which was they were going to poison Dugal with a poison ring, which was they would get him, they would get him like, you know, shaking hands, uh, you know, maybe of the soldiers or like in public or whatever. And one of them would be wearing the poison ring. Mm-hmm. So when Dugal shakes his hand, it would poison Dugal and he would die. Mm-hmm. And the CIA admits that it had these meetings with the soldiers about this, but there's they nothing. A cock ring by accident. <laughs> Yeah, it's like <laughs> it we can fit on the guy's finger. It was too big. We can poison him, but you're not going to like how. <laughs> and now all you have to do, Francois, is touch dicks with with Charles de Gaulle. Um, oh, yeah. But so the CIA admits that this meeting happened, but there's no information as to like what they said. They so we don't know if they actually went along with it. Mm-hmm. We don't even know if they told uh, President LBJ at the time. We have mm-hmm. no idea anything beyond the fact that this meeting occurred. The CIA admits, and then they just don't say anything else about it. Mm-hmm. He was cool with Kennedy, right? De Gaulle, sort of. It's it's interesting where you know we'll get to we'll get to that story, but they were kind of pursuing different policies in Africa. Um, like there's a book about JFK called betting on the Africans, which kind of focuses on JFK's Africa policy. And he, he sort of supported nationalist movements in the third world as long as they weren't communist. Whereas Dugal was like very much still a, a colonist. He kind of wanted to, even though he let Algeria go, he did still want to keep France's empire together. Um, so they had conflict there, but you know, after he died, Dugal, uh, praised Kennedy a lot and also covered in the book Devil's Chessboard, um, he, de Gaulle very much believed and knew that it was an assassination by right-wing, el- right-wing elements in the United States that, that took out Kennedy. Mm. Have you seen The Battle of Algiers, the movie? Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah, it's good. It's, uh, I recommend it. It's about the war, the Algerian War for Independence. Who's in it? What year? It's like the 60s. Did it come out in the 60s? Yeah, it came out in 66. So around the time it was happening, right? 
You know, and it's interesting. Yeah, it came out like right after. It yeah. was very contemporary. And it's interesting, like, you know, maybe I'll get to this on the, the Patreon, but when I talk about the OAS, this organization of French soldiers or former French soldiers or whoever that tried to kill de Gaulle and uh, they went on this terror campaign to try to prevent Algerian independence, which we'll get to. But it's interesting, the, the OAS veterans, after de Gaulle eventually does beat them, a lot of OAS veterans end up in different spots, like the dictatorship in Argentina is an example. Some of them end up over there, and apparently they showed that movie, The Battle of Algiers, to the Argentinian dictatorship as like, hey, here's an instructional movie on how we can repress insurgencies. Uh -huh. Here's how we can use torture. Here's how we can use like death flights, you know, where... Uh, like Pinochet did it, where you just take off in a helicopter or a plane, you just throw somebody out the window and they're never seen again. Well, you know, they die, but you throw them into the ocean or whatever. Well, they're uh, seen on w some poor guy's roof, and then he's got to go up there with a <laughs> You show them Wiley Coyote <laughs> clips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're seen on the bass fishing competition <laughs> yeah. five years later. Um, well, a, a, a hole shaped like him is in the ground. Or like, uh, there's also talk, you know, with the JFK assassination they, about um, the French gunmen on the grassy knoll or whatever. So, and there are like a couple, there's at least one OAS guy who I'll mention later who's a suspect in terms of like who actually pulled the trigger and, and shot Kennedy. And there's evidence that does place him in Dallas around that, the time. But, you know, so there were reasons to kill de Gaulle and we'll kind of get through to that and we'll get, go through, um, you know, the evidence, we'll read a bit, uh, or I'll read a bit from, from Devil's Chessboard. But to just kind of really quickly do the World War II thing, you know, de Gaulle uh, joins the military. He's uh, an officer in World War I. He is a general in World War II when France is invaded by Germany. You know, not a great one. He couldn't stop all that. You know, I'm just kidding. Well, he fled, right? Uh, eventually he had to, yeah. Like, he... If my memory, he led like a counterattack. Like it wasn't his fault that the the Nazis blitzkrieged them. But yeah, I heard pretty much all the guys were like guys. I don't know what you call them. You know the guys that are also matter, like he did at the time. Mm -hmm. And they were like, we have to surrender to the Nazis officials. Yeah, I guess that's whatever the word, you know. Yeah. And then he was like, well, if we do, we'll be fucking killed. So I'm out. So he fleed, uh -huh. and then they surrendered, and then they all got killed. Uh -huh. So what he did was, you know, oh. smart. So he was actually like the smartest. Yeah, he was like, he wasn't fleeing like the way, yeah. you know, Archie Bunker makes like uh, hippies out. <laughs> right. You know, you went to Canada or some shit. It's like. Uh, yeah, yeah De, Gaulle, you know. De Gaulle was able to flee because the Germans invaded on his four hour lunch break. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when the Nazis invaded, he was the only general that didn't piss his pants immediately. <laughs> so they were like, we both you and Childs. <laughs> he was also six foot five, right? I feel like that's important. Yeah. Um, He's a tall guy. He's a giant mm -hmm. man. Mm -hmm. You go, he was, he was, they tried to assassinate him, what, 30 times? Yeah. You know like what? I met the, I met twenty that guy. of those times. They thought he was a monster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a shame. It seems like people who are that height usually end up doing well in life. I met that guy Ben Marshall from Please Don't Destroy last night. The redhead guy. Okay. He's he's like six five. Jeez Louise. Yeah. yeah you don't see many short homeless yeah. guys. No. You don't see many short homeless guys. I mean, tall. Tall homeless guys. Yeah. Tall homeless guys. Yeah. 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 They're all around my height. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Our height. Yeah. 
But um, <laughs> so he flees. We belong. <laughs> uh, De Gaulle flees to. Hey, I'm just like you. <laughs> to England, and uh, it's interesting where. You know, so de Gaulle's there in London after France falls and surrenders and Marshal Patton gets set up in, in France as the Vichy government, uh, where he runs the government from Vichy in the south of France and the Germans kind of take over the north of France. Um, but de Gaulle is there in London and he barely has any supporters. And it's interesting where Winston Churchill and the British government, they're not sure who to recognize as the French government in exile. And they basically, they try... Um, to get in contact with the uh, the French generals in North Africa, because uh, as I'll mention in a second here, France conquered Algeria in ni- eighteen thirty. So they have like this colony for like a hundred years. They have you know their possessions in Africa. They have military elements down there. And Churchill and the British are at first they think, oh, we should go get one of those guys. Maybe they'll do a rebellion against the Germans from Africa. But they just can't get in contact with any of those generals. So by default, they say, okay, we'll go with De Gaulle. And De Gaulle is actually able to build his support and popularity just by giving these speeches over the radio from London Mm. that, of course, the British broadcast to the French and the French people get inspired It inspires the resistance and all that. Um, So he kind of builds his his popularity that way, though it is interesting where Roosevelt and the uh, president, Franklin Roosevelt, he never liked de Gaulle and he had his own kind of designated successor, who was a guy named uh, General Henry Girard. Uh, that's who Roosevelt and the Americans wanted to take over France after the war because they thought he would be more compliant and all that. And there is actually this rather bizarre assassination attempt against uh, against de Gaulle on April 21st, 1943. He's in a plane, uh, yeah, a Wellington bomber uh, that takes off over Scotland. And basically, as soon as it takes off, it almost crashes. This fucking guy's life, man. Yeah. <laughs> it almost crashes, and it's only his life is only saved because the pilot immediately recognizes what's wrong and brings it down. And then they inspect it, and apparently the, uh, the airplane's separator rod had been sabotaged using acid. And the thing is, like, at the time, the press blamed, you know, German saboteurs. But privately, uh, de Gaulle believed that the Western allies, maybe the Americans, maybe President Roosevelt was trying to have him killed. Mm. So, you know, it's just one of those weird stories. And Roosevelt just didn't want him in there because he was less compliant. There's partly that. Roosevelt also kind of didn't have any love for the European colonialists. Mm -hmm. Like, they really exaggerate the Roosevelt-Churchill relationship. Like, Mm -hmm. they sort of got along, but Roosevelt really thought Churchill was kind of a dinosaur and was obsessed with his colonies he thought the french were all obsessed with their colonies he sort Mm -hmm. of roosevelt did believe after the war the europeans would have to give up their colonies Mm -hmm. um sean do you know what kind of dinosaur (laughs) mike do you know what kind of dinosaur what what do you mean he thought roosevelt was a dinosaur yeah yeah what kind of dinosaur I'm trying to think of like a round, like a baby dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the one from uh, <laughs> from dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What was his name? Not the mama. Yeah, yeah, not the mama. Yeah, I don't know what his name was. It's like baby Franklin or some horse shit. I'll yeah. find out. Go ahead. Yeah, just baby Franklin drunk in no, the no, White no, House that's bathtub. Not his name. <laughs> um, but anyway, so it was like event. His name was just baby. No, it wasn't Baby. Baby Sinclair. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There we go. Okay. No, but Sinclair was the family's last name because Earl Sinclair. 
Was it? Yeah, so his name was just Baby. Well, it's Baby Sinclair, though. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, like come you. over to Patreon. We'll finish this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll once get to the bottom once of we're done. this <laughs> yeah. and more. Okay, continue, brother. But yeah, it was just like um, th- one of the last like meetings between um, Churchill and Roosevelt and Stalin was at Yalta, where they kind of carved up the post-war order, and Roosevelt actually insisted that de Gaulle not be invited, so he just kind of snubbed him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was only after, like, every other fucking government recognized de Gaulle as the post-war leader of France that the Americans finally reluctantly came around. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting where on the... Because I guess America didn't have a ton of colonies at this time, right? No, I mean, you know, we had, like, Puerto Rico and Hawaii, a couple others. And North America. Yes. But, um... It was interesting, uh, on his way back from Yalta on the conference, Roosevelt actually wanted to meet de Gaulle in Algiers, but de Gaulle refused because he was so, you know, butthurt about being excluded from the Yalta conference Mm. because, like I said, Roosevelt had his problems with him, but also he just kind of thought it would overcomplicate it if it was negotiations between four powers instead of just between three powers. Um, so de Gaulle actually refused to meet with him and then Roosevelt went back and actually criticized de Gaulle to the U S Congress and then Roosevelt died right after. So it didn't really matter. But, um, but besides Roosevelt, there was also, uh, uh, Alan Dulles, the future CIA leader was at this time, the head of the OSS, the predecessor to the CIA. He was in Switzerland and as the OSS chief in Switzerland, he kind of ran his own, policy and just according to david talbot in in devil's chessboard dulles favored a right-wing faction of the french resistance that was opposed to de gaulle in his war memoirs de gaulle accused dulles of being part of a scheme that was determined to silence or set aside the french general a right-wing resistance uh leader named uh, pierre de beneville on uh, Dulles' uh, oss payroll was later accused of, of betraying jean moulin a uh, Dugal's uh, dashing representative in the French underground to the Gestapo. Um, after he was captured, Maloon was subjected to brutal torture before being beaten to death, allegedly by the notorious war criminal Klaus Barbie. So the allegation is that uh, Dulles favored a more right-wing faction and had uh, one of Dugal's like right hand men set up and tortured and killed by the Gestapo mm-hmm. to try to as part of a likely as part of a power struggle to like determine who would actually run the show after the war. Mm-hmm. Well, damn. Yeah, why do they care so much? <laughs> why do you torture a guy and then kill? Well, because you're trying to get stuff from him, I guess. Uh, yeah. De Gaulle was also a prisoner a of war in World War One, I, I believe. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He tried to escape a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, look out for that six-foot-five guy. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to blend into the populace. <laughs> the next time they tried to assassinate him, they, they poisoned all the 14-year-olds in France. <laughs> <laughs> it's like hundreds of thousands of Frenchmen die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But really, the I mean, the reason he wanted him dead did, is be Alan Dulles, right? Is that his name? Yeah. It's it's just the oil situation. He's obviously somehow the CIA or America is making money off of uh, the oil in Algeria. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting kind of chicken and egg question where I do believe it is primarily all about the resources and the money. 
So it's like, you know, defense contractors want their war, uh, multinationals want their oil and, you know, lithium or whatever for cheap. But you can't really say that. Like, if you can't think of yourself as a good person if that's what you believe. Mm -hmm. So they all kind of have this justifying ideology. And you see that now with the Ukraine war where everybody's like, oh, we're defending freedom and democracy. Mm. Ukraine's not a fucking democracy. It's an extremely corrupt dictatorship. But, you know, uh, or anti-communism was the other one, you know, like J. Edgar Hoover. Like these people genuinely convinced themselves that communism would destroy Christianity would destroy uh, the way of life of everybody. It would, you know, in in doom humanity to centuries of misery, all this kind of stuff. So it's like, I think it is ultimately about the money and the resources, but everybody comes up with their own kind of ideological justification for the money and the resources. And then that ideological justification becomes more powerful to the point where they honestly believe what they say about this ideological justification, whether it's anti-communism or spreading freedom and democracy like George W. Bush. They just kind of, they come up with a line of bullshit and eventually they get high on their own supply and they really do believe that when they say it. Do you think, uh, do you think De Gaulle was a little communist? You think he liked a little bit of it uh, in in his drink? De Gaulle was a total anti-communist. But the CIA still tried to have him killed because he was a French nationalist. He believed France should set its own course. He uh, tried to, like, after the war, he tried to work with Germany to try to offset the American influence to try to... And that's sort of the the power of the European Union now is France and Germany work together. And then by working together, they can make the European Union kind of do almost whatever they want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw some Michael Parenti lecture once, and he was like, all these countries that we extract resources from it's like they have the resources it's not like they don't want to sell them to you yeah like they want to sell them to you but it's like it's not enough for these uh for these uh, what's for lack of a better term capitalists they want to like own they want to like essentially own the country and control every aspect of it right i mean it's like how you you end up with a bayonet up your ass like hillary clinton (laughs) ordered to be put there bayonets yeah They still have bayonets? Well, Gaddafi. Oh, yeah. That was a bayonet? Yeah. Yeah. Just thought it was a knife. I thought it was a sword. I pictured oh, like a sword, know. like a, you know, that a sword swallower would have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, thought it, I thought it was like a sword swallower. The guy was pulled just it like, out of his mouth and into Gaddafi's ass. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was like a guy lit it on fire, put it down uh-huh. his throat, and then into Gaddafi's ass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it, and he said, this will teach you to try to create a United States of Africa. <laughs> Right. He put a sword directly up his ass. But, um, okay, so the war ends. Then uh, de Gaulle's in charge of the interim government in France from 1944 to 46. He resigns in 46. He hands it over to civilian rule. And then this is after the war. We're in what's called the Fourth French Republic. And this is kind of a, a chaotic period. Like, there's a lot of change of government and all that. And this is where de Gaulle makes his kind of famous quote, uh, how, about France, he says, how can you govern a country that has 246 varieties of cheese? Mm-hmm. And he's commenting on this kind of post-World War II period and all the chaos. And a lot of the chaos is caused by Algeria. And this is what makes de Gaulle return to politics in 1958. Um, so just like Cliff Notes' history of France and Algeria. In 1830, 
France invades and conquers Algeria. Uh, between 1830 and 1875, about a third of the population of Algeria is killed, whether by, you know, germs, diseases, warfare, starvation. And just from the French showing up. Yeah, just the French show up and they kill like one in every three people there. You said 1875? 1830 to 1875. Jeez. So, because it's like the French conquer it in 1830, but there's just continued resistance for like 45 years. And eventually they just kill so many people that they get worn down. So by the 1870s, there's not really much resistance to French rule anymore. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is um, hundreds of thousands of French and other European people start going over to Algeria and settling it, you know, like uh, living there and all that. And uh, so by the time of de Gaulle, there were about one million French uh, people living in um, Algeria. And they're called the Blackfeet for whatever reason, mm. but they become important because they're like, hey, you got to keep this occupation going because there's a million French and like nine million Muslims in Algeria. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're like any other reactionaries. They want the army there to keep the, it's like the Israelis and the Palestinians, you know, they want to keep the Muslims under control. They want the army there. They they don't want to leave. Right. You know, they, they think that that's their home now. Um <clears throat> But in 1954, another um, guerrilla resistance and warfare starts again in Algeria after being dormant since the 1870s. So 1954, and this is what, you know, in the movie The Battle of Algiers, this is the period that we're, we're talking about here oh, in the okay. 1950s. Um, and so in 1958, this is what kind of brings de Gaulle back to power is that there's actually a, um, a, a military coup in Algeria because there's so many like French units over there fighting the guerrillas and they are so much more, you know, reactionary and militant about it than the civilian government back in Paris that they actually say, Hey, we're just going to take over Algiers, the capital of Algeria, and we're going to run this thing. And actually the French back in Paris start getting worried that these paratroopers are actually going to invade mainland France and take over the civilian government there. Cause you know, so much of the, the French military is over there, and they're they're dedicated to this policy. So this is why Charles de Gaulle is able to come back politically, because the civilian government fails, and he's the only person as this World War II hero who has the credibility to kind of restore order to this whole thing. Right. And, How big of a military presence did they have? Uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but um, you know, like thousands of. Because, yeah, by this point, they were out of Vietnam. So this was like their only active military commitment was in Algeria. Right. But so, uh, yeah, the people uh, were worried that Algerian uh, paratroopers would take Paris. Uh, De Gaulle presents himself as this bulwark against the coup. So on June 1, 1958, he's appointed prime minister. He says Algeria is the top priority for the new government. June 1958, he uh, visits Algeria. And he actually, you know, he, he addresses these like really rapturous crowds because at first he kind of comes back into power by promising to appeal to everybody. And so he goes to Algeria and, you know, all the French, they come out and they see him, these huge crowds, World War II hero. And he addresses them and he apparently says, or you can see video of him saying, uh, long live French Algeria, which the crowd loves. And he later says he slipped out. It didn't really, he didn't really mean that. Because long live French Algeria, of course, suggests that you're just going to keep it a colony forever. And he very much 
Charles de Gaulle very much had no intention of doing that. And um, his reasons for that were simply enough, as I mentioned, he says, Algeria has nine million Muslims. <laughs> That's very literally the kill whitey moment in, uh, in Black Sheep with Chris Farley. Where he gets so hyped that he just says the exact thing they, they he, <laughs> he thinks they want to hear. Uh-huh. You know, it was he had like a reggae con. What was it? I forget what it was. He was I like, kill it. Whitey. <laughs> <laughs> and that's saying he's just, yeah. French Algeria. Okay, continue. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I watched this uh, documentary. It's pretty good. It's called Charles de Gaulle, The Last King of France. It's a uh, it's French language documentary, but it's by Patrick Rotman. And uh, so it's like, you know, colorized and it covers a lot of these events. Um, But, you know, so de Gaulle, the reason, uh, as he says to his advisors, he says, quote, Algeria, or this is a paraphrase, Algeria has nine million Muslims, one million Europeans. And so an idea that was put forward was Algeria would become integrated with France, like a U.S. state or whatever. And de Gaulle's against this because he says integration would result in 80... Arab MPs who would make French law. Like, he was kind of, let's say, an old-school segregationist or whatever. Oh, yeah, I was say, wait, that's not nice of him. Right, so it's like, he did the right thing ending the war, but his reasons were this 9 million Muslims would take over France. Mm-hmm. And so um, he kind of goes about getting out of this war through a, a variety of different ways. And Because we saw what two Muslims did to Charlie Hebdo, right? <laughs> And I do just want to say, you know, like sometimes just talking about the JFK assassination, you say what I believe to be the truth, which is JFK was killed partly as a result of trying to pull pull out of the Vietnam War. And people are like, oh, you think JFK was some sort of hippie peacenik? And it's like, no, it's just how the system works. Like, again, de Gaulle is this racist imperialist who killed, you know, thousands of people in Algeria. Uh Uh-huh. and he's still, they tried to kill him 30 fucking times. Right. I mean, this is like, you should just kind of understand violence makes the world go around. Yeah. It just, cause the, the, just because worse people kill you, it doesn't mean you're like some hippie socialist. Did, it's just you, were be- you had a better policy, a more peace-oriented policy, and that can get you killed no matter what sure. kind of person you like, are. I mean, I, and you might not even know the answer to this, but did Kennedy have another, you know, his sights on another place to possibly invade or start an issue with? Not really. I mean, he, um, Kennedy, when he first came in, he actually inherited what was becoming a civil war in Laos, and he was able to neutralize Laos. He negotiated with the Soviets, and they managed to avoid a war, even though they were telling him, hey, you should deploy 100,000 U.S. troops in Laos so we can settle this. So he manages to avoid the war in Laos, but he has to escalate in vietnam in exchange you know it's sort of peter dale scott talks about every time a u.s conflict winds down since world war ii there's an escalation in another area Mm. and again we see that with afghanistan becomes ukraine but so he starts deploying these advisors to vietnam but then he wants to take them all out by 1965 and there are other areas such as Indonesia. He wanted to negotiate it there. He wanted to recognize the democratic government of uh, the Congo. And those are like two of the most resource-rich areas in the world that would both have military coups backed by the CIA after Kennedy was assassinated and would become, um, in the case of Indonesia, like a 
almost a U.S. colony, and then in the case of the Congo, like a really, well, for a while, a U.S. colony, and now like a really chaotic, borderline failed state where all that cobalt comes from because there's no there's no government to drive a hard bargain. You can just play all these warring tribes off against each other. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, we were talking earlier about like they want to sell the resources, but it's it's like if you could military coup your landlord and instead of paying, you know, market rent, you would pay like a hundred a month or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. You've just gotta just gotta have his family shot as they're going through a limo and set up three sniper teams at uh, at different points. Right. And, and and that's why there hasn't been an, an like an invasion on these countries because it's already kind of just happened and they're being used and it's long and done and they're just still being pumped like places like the Congo and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I you know, the the they use the term post-colonialism or neo-colonialism and I think that's accurate where it's like originally in the scramble for Africa, the Europeans would go in and they would just kind of set up the government and they would run everything themselves. And they tried to keep that going after World War II, but it just didn't work. So now what they do is they just put in somebody they can buy off. Like in the Congo, there's a guy, Mobutu, was the dictator of the Congo who overthrew the democratic government in a CIA-backed coup. He was a billionaire several times over by the time he died. And that was just because the Western corporations would just pay him a little bit of money and his family some money, and then he would give them all the resources for super cheap. Yeah. So you just like immiserate everyone in the country and buy off the ruling part of family. It's much cheaper than paying market price for these resources, which would raise the living standards of everyone in the country. Sure, sure. Or being forced to go into a country and suppress people. Mm-hmm. Just talk to a leader that already suppresses the people mm-hmm. and make a deal with them. Yeah. But yes. so de Gaulle comes in, he uh, gets this new constitution, is a referendum campaign. Uh, de Gaulle's 68 years old at this time in 1958. Because of the new constitution, de Gaulle's elected president, not prime minister. He gets the direct elections of, of president. This is called, this is the transition from before de Gaulle was the fourth Republic of France, this becomes the fifth Republic of France. And this is what they're still on today, this kind of system that de Gaulle set up because he was so popular and he was able to uh, bypass the political class and go directly to the French people through television and all that. But in uh, 1959, he launches a new offensive in Algeria. It's kind of the same Vietnam logic where you want to, or he wants to negotiate from a position of strength. Like, so he, you know, he launches, he has a bunch of people killed in this colonial war, but he goes on TV and he essentially says there's going to be a referendum in Algeria. And he says there's going to be three options where you can either vote for integration, like Algeria becomes like a state of France. You can vote for independence or you can vote for self-administration as a territory of France. And he says that the last one is the, the option he would prefer in his TV address. But of course, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there's a million Europeans, nine million Muslims. It's obvious that independence is going to win the referendum. So basically... As soon as he goes on TV... Oh, because the Muslims got to vote on it. Yeah, he says the people of Algeria will be able to vote on this referendum. Wow. But part of that had something to do with, like, all the pressure they were putting on the French occupiers, right? Right. I mean, this is because since 1954, they've been fighting a guerrilla war. And 
people in mainland France are, they're really sick of it, you know, of like French troops getting killed over there. They don't really care. And civilians too, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the the French living in Algeria, this is to them, it's life or death. They're like, we need the army here. We need to suppress the majority. Right. You know, so as soon as de Gaulle goes on TV and announces this referendum, all the French living in Algeria, or most of them, view this as a betrayal. Uh-huh. And this is where the OAS is the Organization Army Secret, Secret Armed Organization. Mm-hmm. This is set up almost right after he announces this referendum. And and then there is another referendum within uh, France itself, January 1961, where 75% of French voters back his Algeria policy in this referendum. But in, um, in January 1961, the same month of that referendum, the OAS is set up, is set up in Franco Spain. Mm-hmm. Spain is still a dictatorship after World War II. And, um, the OAS is set up there uh, mostly among existing networks of, uh, of you know, quote-unquote counter-terrorists. And these were just people, you know, sometimes soldiers, sometimes ex-soldiers, who had been carrying out attacks against the Algerian National Liberation Front, the FLN. They'd been sort of involved in this war in Algeria since the 1954. And uh, they set up this organization as a response to this referendum of self-determination for Algeria and basically started launching like assassinations, terrorism, and then a whole bunch of different plots to kill Charles de Gaulle. And let me just say, if you are going to watch the movie The Battle of Algiers with your wife or your girlfriend, you are going to have to have like a five-minute conversation like explaining to her the type of movie that it is. (laughs) And you are going to have to watch like one of her movies the next week, like the first Wives Club or the Family Stone or one of her one of her lady movies, because it is a very like there's something about the movie where it's not it's it's very good at portraying kind of like the struggle for independence and kind of what everybody was going through and portraying, I guess, like both sides of the conflict, because it seems like the Algerian War for Independence was a very like messy and hard fought and like nonlinear uh, struggle. Hmm. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, I I think it is looking at the history. It's so much more fascinating, this sort of black and white thing where you can see like a guy like de Gaulle. Because I tried to watch it with Deb like years ago. And she was like, I don't like this. So I watched it by myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like a a guy like de Gaulle, you wouldn't call him a good person, but he was still right in this instance. Mm -hmm. And it is interesting where, you know, the OAS gets set up January 61 and they start launching assassinations against him and other people. Well, and I'll cover it a bit more on the Patreon. De Gaulle starts to set up his own networks, mm-hmm. like his own paramilitary forces. And he starts just having his enemies killed, uh-huh. you know, outside the confines of the state. And then the French state, you know, denies we had any involvement in it. Right. And it is sort of interesting as a historical experiment. It's like, how could JFK have survived? Well, he could have done what de Gaulle did. Like, Uh if JFK wanted to live, he needed to understand better the forces against him. Right. Castro and Castro, too, right? Yeah. I mean, Castro, like, uh, if you watch the Oliver Stone Putin interviews, one of my favorite quotes from it is Putin tells Oliver Stone that when he met Fidel Castro, Castro told him, the reason I lived so long is I always personally picked my own security. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, you know, like, Kennedy clearly got set up by the Secret Service in Dallas. Right. But it is something where it's like, de Gaulle, 
strikes back against the OAS with his own little death squads. When Kennedy when Kennedy was interviewing security, he was like, do you have any hot cousins? <laughs> <laughs> do you have a sister? Well, and also, I mean, he had family. Well, I guess they were heading into politics, right? Who in his family was in politics before he got in? Kennedy? Yeah. He's like... Uh, his, uh, I want to say, grandfather was the mayor of Boston, Honey That's not Fitz. enough, though. You know, you need, like, to be, you need, like, people in your family to be in the ranks of politics to be like, boys, we got to suit up. Like, I'm about to make some moves. Well, his dad made a bunch of money from Prohibition, so I guess, yeah. what, did he just have, like, a vision for his... His yeah. dad should have been, like, you know, got on the horn. He should have called his dad and been like, I need the mafia to help me. But mm-hmm. then you accuse a man of uh, throwing a coup, I guess, right? Right. Technically, so. yeah, his dad was uh, head of Roosevelt's SEC, and he was going to run for president, but Roosevelt and J. Edgar Hoover, like, blackmailed him somehow. We don't know exactly how, but, I mean, I guess it's because he was a bootlegger and mm. he liked him young. Mm. The uh, wine. Yeah. It is just sort of like, how would Kennedy survive that? he would have to have James Angleton at the CIA, like, just get a gun. You know, like, when you're yeah. when you're trying to do a hit in The Sopranos, just make it look like a robbery. Yeah. And just kind of, you know, you get Angleton, you get Richard Helms. You just have, like, a bunch of your enemies in D.C. just shot in, like, armed robberies right. where nobody gets arrested. And you're like, oh, fuck, I guess the crime's getting bad in D.C. <laughs> this is terrible. I guess the crime's getting bad, yeah. You know? Yeah, because Kennedy fired Alan Dulles, but he didn't, like, purge the organization. So there right. were all these, like, Dulles loyalists that were still left over at the... Right, and that's a big part of David Talbot's book is, like, Alan Dulles still had his house and these, like, highest-level people in the CIA, James Angle, Richard Helms, they would mm-hmm. come over to his house two or three times a week still. Mm-hmm. And he would essentially be running a government in exile. Mm-hmm. And so it was just something where it's like de Gaulle, as we'll go through on the Patreon, he got really serious about this. And, you know, he set up death squads. He understood the stakes. He survived an assassination attempt about just over a year before Kennedy did, uh, which is um, uh, depicted in the movie The Day of the Jackal. We'll, we'll talk about the circumstances of that on, on the Patreon. But it is just something where it's like, if you want to look at history and you want to do the hypothetical of how could John F. Kennedy have not been assassinated, uh-huh. he had to do what Charles de Gaulle did. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, join us on Patreon. boys. Yeah. Patreon.com slash out for smokes. We'll see you over there. Yeah. yeah. Wait, wait. I'll uh, just tease it. So when we get to the Patreon, I'll talk about the actual circumstances of this coup attempt against de Gaulle, how he overcame it, uh, what the CIA links are, what the evidence is of, of that. And we'll talk a bit about his, his death squads and, uh, and how he survived, how de Gaulle got to die of old age, whereas Kennedy got a bullet in his brain. Hey, also, ladies, uh, you know, his wife was there for a lot of those attempts. So why don't you carry on over to Patreon and we'll explain how her uh, her big titties uh, blocked some bullets. What? <laughs> over on the Patreon. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for that. <laughs> See you on Patreon.